you are just joining us here, maybe for the first time as a guest or visitor, or uh, you weren't here last week, last week we started a series called Getting Off the Soapbox. And if you remember the series, the whole idea was that all of us have these soapboxes. And in the 1920s, the idea of a soapbox, people would stand on these boxes and they would, they would speak out their opinions, usually politically or religiously. And the thing about being on a soapbox, it was great to get your ideas out, but it was not so great in changing the lives of people. And so all of us as Christians, we take that idea, we, we think about our life, we think about the political issues that are happening, we think about the moral issues that are happening, and we realize, hey, we've got some soapboxes that we think we're right, and we're going to hold to it. And we're going to speak loudly our opinion from the pulpit. But what you need to remember, and this is what the kind of the main phrase for the whole series is, it's easy to make a, a point, but it's not easy to make a difference. And we as Christ followers are called to make a difference, not just a point. And how we do that is getting off our soapboxes and engaging people one-on-one, -on -one, just like Jesus did. So today we're going to talk about a soapbox that's an issue for many of you. And even as I was writing this message over the last couple of weeks, I realized I was writing a soapbox message. And I, had, I rewrote this puppy four times to, to back off of my soapbox because it, to me it's a passionate issue. It's an issue that we're going to be talking about that's divided families, churches, friends, and even our society. It's an issue that has affected many women personally in our church and many other women as well. And the topic we're going to talk about is life. And the topic that leads into that is abortion. Now, if you're a guest here, if you brought a guest here, you're probably going, really? Of all the topics, I, I just got my neighbors here. Somebody at downtown, I just came from downtown right before the service. They said, we've been working on our neighbors for like a year and a half. They're finally here. I was like, oh, dear Lord, do they, and I, I said, do they know that it's what the topic is? And, and this, this couple looked at me and they go, we trust you. It's like, oh, good, 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 good. <laughs> I'm glad all of us are here because if you're a Christ follower, you need to know what God says about this, the abortion issue, about the life issue. If you're not a Christian, I'm going to answer for you why to you, you think the Christians are whacked in the head and why you think we're insensitive and why you think that we're too political on the, this issue. And for those of you who are in the room or listening on the podcast, I know that there are both pro-lifers here and pro-choicers here. And so right off the bat, I want to give you definitions for those two groups, okay? Again, general definitions, there's gray areas in all of it. So pro-life people, people, these are people who are pro-life. They believe that all humans, including the unborn, have a right to life. For this reason, they believe abortion is wrong and that it is murder. They think the law should make abortion a crime in order to protect embryos and fetuses. And dictionary.com defines a fetus as an unborn offspring specifically of a human being. So that's pro-lifer. Pro-choice, and I, this was new for me. I didn't understand this category. Pro -choice, being pro-choice doesn't necessarily mean that you are pro-abortion. Or that if faced with an unintended pregnancy, that you would even have an abortion. Simply put, being pro-choice means that you believe that the woman, not the government, 
should make their own reproductive health care decisions. Now, with those two uh, definitions, you begin to see that inherent struggle, right? One side leans more heavily on the moral, the other side leans more heavily on the legal, and both are clouded with gray areas in between. Can you be a Christian and be pro-life? Yes. Can you be a Christian and be pro-choice? Yes. And this issue is not a reason to leave Christianity. It's not a reason to leave God. It's not even a a reason to leave our church. And that's what I love about our church. Because we're a big, old, messed up group of people. We're messed up. We have opinions all over the place. And what I love about our church is we can go head-to-head on certain issues, hot topics, daily things, but in the end, we still love each other. We stick together. We say, you know what? I disagree with you very vehemently. Let's go get pizza. You know? That's the beauty of our congregation. We look at things. We process things in light of God's word. Not what we've grown up with. Not what's on TV. Not what even my feelings lead me to believe. Our framework as Christians is always God's word. And I want to let you know that at the end of this message, whether you agree or disagree you are still welcome here at Trinity with all of these issues. At the end of the series, you are, whether you agree or disagree, you're still welcome here at Trinity because underpinning everything we talk about is the love and acceptance and forgiveness of our Lord, Savior, Lord and Savior Jesus. So here's where we're going to go today. Let me give you kind of the outline. First of all, there's a basic question that gets right to the issue of abortion and life matters that we have to to look at and we have to discuss. Then we're going to take a look at what some scientists say about the answer or about that question. And then, hey, here's a good idea. We're going to see what God says about the basic question. Okay? So the basic question. Anyone want to guess what the basic question is when it comes to life issues, abortion, and all of that? Anyone want to guess? Yes. When does life begin? This is the key question. This, this is very, very key because there's a philosophical connection to this question that goes like this. That which is defines what it is. So let me give you an illustration of that. Um, a debit card. A debit card was created as a debit card With it, I can purchase things, I can withdraw money, I can hold rental cars, all those kinds of things. That's what it's created for. But I can also scrape the ice off of my car with it. (laughs) Not that I've ever done that before. But is that its real purpose? No, you get back to the, the, the underpinning original purpose of that which is defines what it is. So the question is this, do you believe... A fertilized, a fertile, what do you believe a fertilized egg is? Is it human? Is it going to be human? And if you believe that it is not a human being until birth or shortly after, or, or it, it becomes a human being somewhere in the pregnancy later on, then realistically you can do whatever you want with that mass of tissue. Legally, physiologically, and it could be based on personal circumstances, it could be based on feelings, it could be based on conveniences. If you believe that once the egg is fertilized that it is a human being, then we're obligated to protect it, to nurture it, 
to do whatever it takes to help the mom, the dad, the family situation surrounding that tiny human being that is in the process of growing into its body. So that's the basic question. When does life begin? So here's what science says. Um, it, it was fascinating to me to read all of the, uh, a lot of the, science, lit- the literature, science literature on this question. When does life begin? Some scientists say that human life is a continuum. So the sperm and the egg are potential human beings, meaning that after conception, there's this point when, uh, it, when it just is developing and developing, and then eventually the soul enters into that massive tissue, and they say that's when it becomes a human being. However, because, we don't, because soul isn't a scientific category or name, we really don't know when that happens within, after, after the fertilization process. But the more I read, I found out that a a majority of non-politically driven, non-religiously affiliated uh, scientists and organizations have a different view. For example, the American Heritage Science Dictionary says conception is the formation of a zygote, which results from the sperm and the egg coming together, makes a zygote. For reference, a zygote is the first stage of a human embryo, they say. The Westchester Institute, again, the basic, this is what they say, the basic events of early development are both reasonably well characterized and generally uncontested. Following the binding of the sperm and the egg to each other, and get this, this is what happens, almost immediately the membranes of both of these two cells fuse, creating in this instant a single hybrid cell, an, an original cell. That's what they call the zygote, or a one-cell embryo. It contains all the components of the sperm, contains all the components of the egg, and therefore the zygote has a unique molecular structure. It's unique. Even nonpartisan scientists, scientists that don't have any uh, religious affiliation or political affiliation, are saying the same thing. They also say that once that zygote is formed, it cannot grow into anything else but a human being. Meaning, once fertilized, that egg can't grow into a cow. Aren't you glad, ladies, that, that would, that's a whole other picture that we'll just move off of? Now, again, science is helpful. It's awesome. Again, honestly, there's a debate within the scientific community about this among, among doctors. Um, but let's take a look at what God says. What does God say? For those who are not Christian, the Bible for Christians is our foundation. It's our guide for all things physically, spiritually, all life matters. We go to the Bible to see what God says. And the key section in Scripture, the main section that really lands on this issue of life and when, when and how um, uh, uh, the, the life begins comes from Psalm 139. If you have your Bibles, you can take a look at it. Um, verses 1 to 11, I'm, I'm not going to do all of 1 to 11, but it talks, first of all, about how much God loves you as a person, Okay? Things like, you've searched me, Lord, you know me. You know when I sit down, you know when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from far away. Even before I speak, God, you know what I'm going to say. 
You, you're with me no matter where I am. Where can I go from your spirit? You guys know this, these verses. Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is always with you. Your hand guides me. Your hand holds me fast. That's 1 through 11 as, a, as kind of a summary. But then you get to the core of God's love for you and the God's love for all human life. And, and the reason, the psalmist is saying, the reason, God, you do all these things for me, the reason you watch me, the reason you're with me is because you created me. Verse 13, uh, verse, uh, 13 says this, for you created my inmost being. That word in the original uh, Hebrew slash Aramaic, maybe at that time, but, but Hebrew, that word actually is the literal word kidneys. You created my kidneys. I think it's interesting. What does a kidney look like? Doesn't it look like the beginning development of, of the human body? Inward being. In this, this concept, too, um, there are two things. You were conceptualized in the mind of God before you were even created. Jeremiah 1.5 says this. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. God's talking to Jeremiah. Before, before your mom and dad came together and had you, God knew you already. He knew your name. You were in his mind at that point. The second part of this whole thing is you were created, you were created physically um, within the womb of Psalm 51, verse 5. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother, what, conceived me. Again, the original word is that action between a sperm and an egg, the, the initial connection between those two things. And then Job, Job was having a really bad day, and he was just wishing he was dead, and so he was cursing his life, and Job 3.3 3 even says, let the day of my birth be erased, and the night I was conceived. Other Psalms and New Testament references support the truth that what God says, and a majority of scientists kind of back up, is this. Life begins at conception. Life begins at conception. Not 24 hours later, not two days later. Life begins at conception. Science says it. God says it. And the beauty is, from there, God knits us together. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Raise your hand if you knit. I don't even know what knitting is. I get that crochet. I, there's a sewing machine. Is that knitting? No. It, but knitting, I know it has like two sharp things you poke your eye out with, right? So imagine if you're knitting. My wife does this. And as you watch someone who knits, it's intricate. It's really close. It's weaving in and out. Every stitch, every pearl one dot two I don't know what it is, but God knits us together in my mother's womb. Verse 14, the, the response is, I praise you because I'm fearfully, which means awesome. I'm awesomely and wonderfully, which means unique. I'm awesomely and uniquely made. Each of you are unique. Your works are wonderful, God. I know that full well. My frame, and that literally is bones, my bones uh, were not, my, my frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. And then I love this. Your eyes, God, 
saw my unformed body. The word unformed body is embryo. When you came into this world, God wasn't surprised. He wasn't waiting outside, waiting in the waiting room going, whoa, that's how you turned out? He did the knitting. He knew what you were going to look like. And then all the days are ordained or sketched out or created. The vessel of my days were created for me. They were written in your book before one of them came to be. The point is this. As a little microscopic mass of cells, (laughs) you are not nameless. You are not purposeless. You're not a random act of nature. You have a purpose in life. Every life has a purpose. You're loved by God at conception and before. God says you always were and always will be a human being, a masterpiece. And this is what you need to understand, is that you're not just matter to God, you matter to God. So what's our response as Christ followers, as a church? And I go back to what I said at the beginning. If you believe that the egg, the fertilized egg, is a human being, then we're obligated to protect life, to nurture life, to do whatever it takes to help the mom, the dad, the family situation surrounding that human being as it develops. No matter what the situation is that God brings life into being, by by definition, the act of intentionally ending that life, it's murder. But here's the beauty. Even in that, there's grace. It's not the end of the story. It's not the end of your story. Psalm 139 talks about the darkness and how God shines his light into the darkness, just like Jesus did with the woman who was caught in adultery. Remember that? He's writing in the sand. Everybody leaves and Jesus says, where are your accusers? Aren't they accusing you? woman says, no. And Jesus says, I don't condemn you either. Go and sin no more. Just like Jesus, we're to love people that way. People matter to God, and so they matter to us. So what does that look like? For you, that might mean joining a Christian organization that helps unwed moms. And we have a list of those available. It may mean helping and giving counsel and encouragement to families touched, or it simply may mean that you personally need to receive the grace of God for something that you did back in college, dealing with abortion, or someone you know. It may just be opening your hands and surrendering to a God who loves you no matter what. Jesus came to die for all people. He came to die for those of us who are adults, who are children, who are pre-born, because God knew you before you were born. You matter to God. It doesn't matter if you're pro-choice. It doesn't matter if you're pro-life. It doesn't matter what label you wear. It doesn't matter if you've had an abortion or thinking about having an abortion or are directly affected by it. You matter to God. That's God's grace for you today.
same dream many times it haunts my mind it starts with a life but it ends every time oh so many faces that this world will never see a reason for your life but your heart will never be may our tears fall down let them soften this ground may our hearts be found god forgive us now we chose we'll never know and loving you is better than feeling alone and all our claims to freedom have become these heavy chains and in the name of rights we'll keep filling nameless graves may our tears fall down Father God, we know that you're gracious and just, and I just want to pray for those of us who are maybe feeling guilt this morning um, from a past decision, from a decision. I want to pray, God, that you would impress upon those folks, Father, that there is no condemnation, there's love, there's grace. Father, I just ask that you would protect and and encourage us and enable us to do what we can just one-on-one off our soapbox, off our soapboxes, God, to speak into the lives of people who are hurting so badly, who think there are no other options other than abortion, That, that, that first you would bring them to light to us, that we can say there are other options and that life is precious to you and it's precious to us. Father, thank you for your grace that covers all of us that we live in because all of us have sinned and fall short of your glory. No one is better than the other. And we're made right because of Jesus. So thank you for that. Bless this message, Father. Let it um, ferment a little. Let it, 
uh, grow in conversation around our dinner tables and among our small groups, Father, as we seek your will, your guidance in these things. Father, we love you for loving us first. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Let's stand for the blessing. And as we do, let's have two hands out to receive the blessing from God.